We're in Mark chapter 5, starting a new chapter, but continuing a story that we've been looking at for multiple weeks. So turn to Mark chapter 5, and we're going to now look at a collection or a series of snapshots that will put the power of Christ on display in ways that are miraculous. And we looked at part of that last week as Christ calmed the storm. And chapter 5 is going to pivot towards the way that Christ's power interacts with people. And as we look at this snapshot, and then again, uh, two more next week, before we actually get into the story that we're going to look at this morning, I want to soften your minds to what we're about to read by asking you to come with me on a, a small exercise of your own memory to think to a time when you got a diagnosis of something that was broken beyond repair, something that you loved or you cherished, and then a tragic event or accident happened, and you looked at it and you thought, this is never going to be repaired. There's nothing that we can do to fix this. So as you're thinking of your own story of something in your life that you cherished that became broken beyond repair, I'm going to share my own as I went through this exercise in my own mind. When I was 18 years old, a senior in high school living out my dream job as a Pizza Hut delivery driver, after a long day of delivering pizzas, I came home exhausted, ready to just relax with my personal pan. And as I'm getting out of the car, my mom asked me to take out the trash. And we have a long driveway, so she wanted me to take out the trash. And so I reluctantly get out of my car, and I start to, to gather the trash cans. And I noticed that I had made a terrible mistake. Uh, the car that I, I parked my, my little red Toyota truck on a tiny little incline of my parents' parking lot, and it was left in neutral, and it was just enough incline to begin a downward momentum that eventually picked up speed when it hit a hill. And uh, by design, by a folly of design that I question to this day, at the bottom of this hill was a pond. And... <laughs> After a long day's of work, I'm exhausted, and I look back just in time to see my little red pizza delivery truck splash into a pond and proceed to slowly sink all the way to the bottom. <laughs> so this morning, I'm confessing something to you that I swore I would never tell a soul. <laughs> I had sunk a truck, and it was literally dead in the water. One of the most embarrassing moments of my life, and it is a point of reference to one of those feelings of hopelessness that we all experience when we find something that is broken beyond repair. And now I want you to think not just into physical things that you cherish, but now pivot your mind into a person or a relationship in your life. And you think, Something happened, a mistake was made, and momentum built, and it went down a hill, and it has crashed to the bottom, and now this person on your mind, seemingly in your life, is broken beyond repair. Or it was a personal decision that they made to mess with something in their life that took them on a downward spiral that picked up enough, enough momentum, and they crashed at the bottom, and now they feel and they appear to the outside world as though they are completely broken beyond repair. And of course, anyone living in our modern times, you can even expand beyond the personal and the personality into the world that we live in, 
in the week that we just unfolded before us, and there was elections, and anytime there is, some people think that all of our problems are going to be solved, and others think that the problems are only going to get worse, and it feels as though our world itself is broken beyond repair. How many of you can relate to the feeling of coming into a scenario that has broken in a way that seems hopeless. And in that hopelessness, you wonder what could ever solve this and you have a decision to make, should I just give up on this entire situation? Some of you are probably here today wondering, should I just give up on the circumstances of my life that feel completely hopeless? And I share all of that because Mark chapter five is an expose on people that are living with circumstances that seem to be broken into hopelessness. And to fully answer the question, what is the way of the Lord? It's on the the bulletin, the series that we're, who is Jesus? A a breakdown of Mark comes comes in two chunks. Mark 1 through 8, who is this Christ? Who is this person? They're they're wrestling with with the question. And to understand who Jesus is, we have to understand the type of authority and power he has to go beyond what we think is possible. That's why last week was so powerful. Even the wind and the waves obey him. When there is a storm that goes beyond our ability to navigate, it goes beyond our ability to have faith that will make it through, Jesus came on the scene and calmed it. And now, in a continuation of the display of the power and the authority of Christ, we come to a new collection of interactions that Jesus will have to establish how powerful he is. And so we are going to look at this first snapshot into a life that seems broken on a beyond repair. In, starting in verse 1, it says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. This is a continuation of what seems to be an exhausting day that Jesus has just had. This takes us all the way back to the beginning of Mark chapter 4 when he was teaching the parables, parable of the sower. The growing seed, the parable of the mustard seed. And then from the parables, he tells his disciples, let's get into a boat and cross. And it is in that moment that a storm comes up so raging and wild that his disciples thought they were going to die. And then it says, that night, he arrives on the other side after calming it. And he arrives on this other side, and before he can really even get out of the boat and get onto the land to to go into the town, what happens? And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Unclean spirit is a way to say that this man was demonically possessed. And we are going to look at a portrait of brokenness that has everything to do with spiritual darkness and spiritual brokenness. And to understand Christ to fully praise him and worship him as the living hope we just sang about. We cannot limit him and his power to things we're comfortable with. And so some of you have come to seek and to know Christ this morning, but you're not ready to believe in a dimension of reality that includes demonic beings. Your invitation this morning is to accept what the actual portrayal of Christ given to us through the scripture is, which is a Christ that will speak into and interact with the demonic world. 
And in this portrait of brokenness, we are going to see not just that the demonic realm is a reality by which we live in today. The physical world that we can touch and pick up with all of our senses is not the total story of the reality that we live in. If there is an unseen God that you praised and worshiped today, there is an unseen realm. If there is a God that has the power to interact with the unseen realm, we have to understand what the power of darkness actually is. And so we are going to get a portrait of what this man with the unclean spirit, meaning this demonic spirit, used this man's body and life as a host for the physical reality. And the Bible is going to tell us what that looks like, what that would do to a man or to a person when that happens to their life. And it's not only going to paint the picture of the reality, but also show us how powerful darkness is. Maybe a message that we need to be reminded of in a world that seems to think it has tamed the spiritual forces of darkness in our world. So in the portrait of reality, starting in verse 3, it says that he made his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. So this man is living in an uncontrollable torment. It's a torment that affects the region of the world that he lives in and he's been cast out to live amongst the tombs. He is a living dead man. Tombs are like caverns of the day. And he has been cast out to live among dead people, and he is so uncontrollable that presumably those in town who have tried to maintain some sort of peaceful society have tried to chain him, and it's not working. So the spiritual powers of darkness have tormented this man in a way that displays the power of chaos. The chains are being broken by this demonic power that lives in this person. And it emphasizes twice, and remember as we study Mark, a man of few words. A man that does not give details that should not be noticed. It says no one could bind him and no one could tame him. There is a spiritual reality that goes beyond your ability to contain it. There is going to be something that has to intervene in this man's life that no one in the region could do. Something will have to give in this person's life. There's no chain, there's no padded room, there's no medication, there's no counseling, there's no therapy. There's no ability to reconcile this man back into society. He has been cast out because no one can help him. And so again, I remind you, the Bible, Apostle Paul will say that we don't wrestle flesh and blood. When we think about the chaos that happens in our world, we think the torment on society for our world. We think about people that are living in torment. There is a darkness that pushes people so far that they cannot be won back by human effort. There are people that are so far from God and so into the darkness that the chains and the attempts of human intervention will not work. 
And just like I asked you to think about brokenness that applies to people and brokenness that applies to a world, it is also true of the spiritual darkness that hangs like a shadow over our world. We will not be able to medicate the darkness away. You try all the political systems that you could ever think of. Pick your favorite one, and the evil power that is a shadow over God's good intended world will not be cast out by human intervention. We will not vote it out. (laughs) We will not eradicate it with the right amount of medicine, the right amount of padded rooms. We are going to need a spiritual savior. And maybe this is the moment where some of you need to shift the approach that you have for the broken beyond repair people that came to your mind. Because if you're like me, when I think of broken beyond repair people, I think of human intervention. Let's try to figure out how to get to them. There's a book that you can read. I got it at Barnes & Noble. It might help you. (laughs) It's not going to help. And verse 5 is going to give us another layer of this. It's not just a societal problem. It's not that he has to be cast out from the town and the cities. It says in verse 5, And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. This is the portrait of not only what a, a soul untethered by the mercy and grace of God could do to a society to torment it. But also a reminder, a wake-up call, a reality check for all of us that it is Christ or chaos for our own lives as well. Some of you didn't necessarily need to hear a reminder that spiritual darkness is real because the culture is happy to remind you of that. The culture is happy to say, yes, it's real, but it can be fun. You can use spiritual darkness to figure out how your day is going to go. And you read the newspaper, and with spiritual darkness, maybe you get some insight into your lucky numbers. Maybe it'll tell you who you're going to marry someday. You know, you can dress up and and go out and have a spiritual darkness parade, and it's all in good fun, until it's not. Because a life that is given over to what spiritual darkness and demonic influence will take you to is not just a torment to those around you, but your own life will die. When we praise Christ, we are not praising him out of obligation to some sort of religion. What we're saying is, We acknowledge how this story unfolds, that there is one solution to this problem. And so how does Christ show up onto this scene? What is the interaction with Christ going to look like? It says in verse 6, when he saw him from afar, this is meaning the man with the unclean spirit, he sees Jesus, he sees him from afar, Maybe he sees him riding on, riding in on the lake of glass that with a word he just commanded. 
Maybe he sees the disciples tying up the boats. Maybe he sees him actually getting out. But from afar, the man who was cast out from society, crying day and night, and cutting himself, ran to him and worshipped him. The spiritual battle of light and dark on display right here. In fact, in all of Scripture, you will never find a more radical picture of the spiritual battle that we live in. Light versus dark, evil versus good, Christ versus demons, right here. And how does it unfold? It's over before it starts. You, know, you watch the horror movies and you get the sense that, you know, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty close race, you know. It's like demonic power is powerful and it's crazy and it's chaotic. And in the name of Jesus there's a, there's a real struggle and a battle, which can be true. But Christ himself, when Christ himself shows up on the scene, a man that was cast out from the society and given up on and absolutely broken beyond repair comes and falls at his feet. This is who you sang to this morning. When you were singing Living Hope, you are singing to Christ who demands darkness to fall at his feet. And I get the sense sometimes believers walk around in this world like it's like, oh my gosh, this world is so powerfully dark and scary. And I'd rather just buckle up and sit in my church than ever any go near the darkness of night. That's why we have to study Christ for who he is, the way of the Lord. He shows up on a beach and a demonic presence bows before him. And I have circled in my Bible worship because that, that stuck with me as I was studying this. It's like, did he worship with a guitar? <laughs> He's like, while I was in those tombs, I was actually kind of reflective and I was picking up some songs and I got one for you. We need to rethink sometimes how we use the word worship. One of the ways that worship can be used is with a, a simple acknowledgement of proper rank and file. So in some ways, when we worship God, what we're saying is, you are higher than me, and I'm lower than you. When we worship him, we're, we're exalting him, the word says. We're putting him on the throne that he belongs in, and we're taking our seat as the, the, the creatures of his creation. So I love Psalm 100. It says, he's this great shepherd and we're this sheep in his pasture. That's worship in rank. And you see that here because what does he say as he worships him and he cries out with a loud voice, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high? He's saying, you are high and you're the most high. You are the Lord of lords. There is, if there is a demonic rank and file, if there is a spiritual uh, uh, army that has, you know, your, your classic rank and file, what this demon understands with proper orthodox theology is that above all is Christ. That's why I love James. He says, you believe there's one God. Great. Even the demons believe and they tremble. Last week, the disciples, as Jesus calms the storm and a display of power over creation, look at Christ and they say, who is this? 
because they still live on this side of the veil that we live in. And sometimes we look at the circumstances of our world and the movement of the Holy Spirit in Christ and we say, who is this? Because as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we only see in part. We haven't fully seen what's in the, behind the veil in the d- dimensions of spiritual reality like these demons have. If only we had. If only we knew the most high God like this demon knows him. Do we worship God when we come into the sanctuary and say, most high above everything, above every dimension of reality, above every act of creation, above every cell of cancer in every body, above life and death, Christ. That's what this demon is saying. And what we now see is in the second portrait as this story unfolds before us, we saw the portrait of extreme brokenness and now we will see the portrait of the power of Christ. This is what our world needs, by the way. We need to understand who we actually believe in. If you're like me, I'm sometimes tempted to think of Christ on this side of the veil. You know, the Keith Green shepherd Christ. He's like carrying around a shepherd. I love that Christ. The Christ that's got the cool hippie beard and he's like doing a peace sign and he's meeting everyone and just welcoming everyone in. The full dimension of the reality of Christ when on display for all to see, everyone falls before him. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. There will be no denying it when you know him as he knows you. And Christ came to give us all of these powerful pictures of who he actually was in these living parables and these interactions with ways that we could see it. It says in verse 8, For he had said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, the, un, the man with the unclean spirit answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. The name Legion is a nickname that this demonic presence was using to identify with what is actually a, a Latin word for a division of the, the Roman army. Five to 6,000 soldiers make up a legion. And so this demonic presence says, we're a legion, for we are many. Five to 6,000 demonic influences inside of this one man. And I think it's so interesting that he chose to use a title for a division of the Roman armies. Because... So many people in the day of Christ, and even now, expect Christ to intervene in some sort of way that we can understand, namely political or with military. The disciples would have been more than happy to have seen Christ actually take on a legion of Roman soldiers, would they not? Wouldn't we? Wouldn't we be excited if the story was that Christ came onto the scene and all the Romans and their spears came and there were 6,000 of them with a word, they fell and worshiped? Because we understand it. But that's not what Christ did. 
because that's not what Christ came to do. It says in 1 John that Christ came to destroy the work of the devil. Christ came to win the spiritual war. And this is his great moment of the war. Where demonic soldiers came 5,000 strong. And with a word, they turn into a force of reign of terror in a society. And absolute torment to an individual person. And then they turn into begging and pleading with our Savior. says in verse 10 that he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. This is another insert with double emphasis as it says he begged him. It's another insert to, to identify the authority of Christ. You know what kind of people beg others? Those who are in total submission to their authority. Shockingly, I, I actually have a way to insert my own kids into this story. Can you believe it? <laughs> a story about 5,000 demons, and I'm thinking of my kids. <laughs> but I thought, you know, this is sometimes the greatest show of respect that my kids can give me. When they want something so much that they would beg me, they're saying, you can do it. You have the authority over me, and if you say yes, it's yes, and if you say no, it's no. And this is what these demons are doing to Christ. You have the authority to do whatever you want to us. And as a sign of compassion, a picture of wisdom, it says, Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains, so all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once, immediately, with a word, not a struggle, but because of the power and the authority of Christ over the spiritually dark world that we now live in, Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000 swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned into the sea. Close scene. Christ gave them permission. And what no man could do, what no chain, no shackle, no power of society could do to free this man and set him free, Christ does it with the authority of a word. And that is the Christ that you have accepted into your life. We live in a world that torments society because of spiritual darkness. Look at our culture. You think this is random? This, the downward spiral towards chaos that we live in? You all see it. I know you see it. You tell me about it. You read the news. There is war, which means humans are killing each other over this. Why? I've never, never met anyone who likes war. There's sexual confusion all over the place. Why? Because there is a spirit of the air 
that is spiritually dark and tormenting, and its number one aim is to kill and to steal and destroy. And the same spirit that is in Christ raising him from the grave is now freely given to us, and it says that the spirit that is in you is greater than the spirit that's in this age. The world we live in needs the power of Christ on display. He came as a light in the world. You ever thought about that metaphor? It doesn't make much sense unless there's a dark world. And then he says, you're the light of the world. You're like a city on a hill. You are a beacon of hope in a very dark place for tormented people. Jesus says, I came that people have, may have life and life more abundant. The thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. As soon as these swine are possessed by these demonic powers, the swine are on a mission of suicide, and they're dead. Spiritual darkness comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And the brokenness of our world will only be revived by the power of Christ. It's our only hope. No chain, no shackle, no tomb will ever bring redemption to the world that we need. This first movement of the scripture shows us a portrait of brokenness. And then we see the power of Christ on display. And now we're going to see the response of the people. What happens when someone is redeemed, transformed, renewed by the power of Christ? There are more than one responses to this story. There will be more than one response to this sermon. In verse 14, it says, So those who fed the swine fled. The owners of the pigs, in other words. And they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what, it, what had happened. So everywhere Jesus goes, people start talking. You notice that in the Gospel of Mark? It's like, did you hear what he did next? And so now we've got these pig shepherds. I don't know what you call those. <laughs> and they're going out and saying, hey, I got to tell you what happened. I just lost 2,000 livestock today. And everyone's talking, and they say, well, let's go, let's go see it for ourselves. So they went out, and they see what happened, and what do they find? Verse 15, then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion. That's what they knew him by. They saw the one that was broken, the one that was crazy, the one that was tormented, the one that was uncontrollable, the one that was suicidal, sitting and clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. I suppose if this could be 
sermon could be summarized in a sentence, it would be that there is no one so broken that Christ cannot fix them. And then we wonder if we actually believe that. Part of the story I shared earlier actually has a, a reason to bring it back because, you know, the, the, the truck goes down. I was only 18, so it was actually my dad's truck. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> and uh, my mom called him on the phone, and he ran straight home. Came straight home. He was a lawyer, so he had a suit on. So he took that down, took it off, and... Uh, yeah, sorry, he was in his underwear <laughs> at that point. And he hopped onto his, his tractor, and he, 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 put the, uh, he put the arm of the tractor into the water, and he jumped in, and he tied it onto the truck, and he got back out, and he pulled it out. He brought it onto land, and he let it sit there for like a month and a half. <laughs> and you know what happened? Radically and miraculously, we turned it on. <laughs> And I drove that truck for a couple years after that. And it kind of reminds me of this way that Jesus teaches. He says, if fathers know how to do good stuff for their kids, if people have property that they think may have a shot at working again, how much more should you, who know God, how much more should you, who know the actual Father in heaven, believe that something could be repaired, that someone could have the hope to be clothed and in his right mind again. I think one of the challenges of the age that we live in is that maybe by design of the enemy or just by the encouragement of our own flesh, so much of what we do has become about our own personal journey with Jesus. But I wonder how many people that you thought of they don't need a book. They don't need a handshake from you. They don't need a hug. They don't need therapy. They need a radical encounter with the living God who has the power to take someone who is tormented and bring them back to life. A tormented society that we live in. It doesn't need a protest. It doesn't need a sign. There are some things in this world that no human intervention will ever be able to solve. What this world needs is the living hope that we just sang about. He has broken every chain. There is power in his name. Jesus Christ, our living hope. If this man can be saved, who are we not praying for? Who are we not hoping for? Who in this sanctuary right now is not welcome to stand under the blood of the cross of Christ for redemption to your life? And yet, it says that some were afraid. Some, unfortunately in this story, and heaven forbid it happened now, but some valued pigs above people. <laughs> Some were more concerned with the well-being of the livestock than they were with a man who had gone through the transformation of a lifetime. How many of us like Jesus until it starts to affect the bottom line? We're, we're totally down with the Sunday morning and the Bible studies, but as soon as it starts to affect our actual life, it's like, 
Who would you guess, if I had to tell you going into this, all the characters that we were going to read about, and there's a man who is tormenting society and himself, and there's a man who comes to set him free, who would you guess that the town wanted to kick out? You might think, well, yeah, if they could get rid of this demon-possessed man, surely they would. And yet they learn to live with him. You can live with brokenness as long as it doesn't affect the bottom line. They ask Jesus to depart. It says in verse 17, Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he had got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. If this man can follow Christ, what excuse do we have? And oddly enough, as often as we've read the Gospel of Mark and the other Gospels, so often Jesus will heal and then silence. It's not the time for my glory to be revealed. And yet with this man, he doesn't say follow me, he says stay. It says in verse 19, However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim the Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. Jesus came for one person. He transformed one life, and he gets back in the boat, and he goes back to where he came from. And he transforms one life, and an entire region of the world hears all about Christ, and they marvel. Tell all the good that God has done. Tell of all the compassion that you've experienced. And so often we get this wrong. We think, man, if we can get him to the preacher, the preacher will get him. <laughs> if we can get him to the church, the church will sign him up. Go tell people about Jesus. Live a life that's so radically in love with Jesus and has his power on display so well that you have stories to tell that others would marvel at. The movement of God for this region was that one man would have such a radical encounter that an entire group of people would hear the marvelous works of God, not from Christ himself, but from the person who has been redeemed. Have you been redeemed? Is God good in your life? In this portrait, do you not only see those that you're praying for now, but do you see a picture of yourself? In all the ways that you're in your right mind and you are clothed because of the righteousness of Christ that he was given to you freely, go tell people. I think the world could probably use a few less sermons and a few more witnesses. And says that people marveled at what they heard. This is a story that is so radical and is so detailed and is so scary that we almost want to contain it to the first century. But I will say that this is a story that God wants to do over and over and over again to transfer people from the power of darkness into the kingdom of light, to give people a new creation in Christ that turns them into ambassadors of Christ. So as you read this, and as we sing a final song of praise, not to a church Jesus or an American Jesus or a 21st century Jesus, but to the Lord of all creation and the God who has the authority 
over the demonic presence of this world. That's who we're singing to. The question is, how do you respond to this? You've hit too close to home. Please depart from my life. Let me get back to what I was doing. Or, do you respond like this man who has had a real encounter with Christ? I belong to you. The demons were not the only ones asking for permission. This man said, man, I want to follow you. I'll go anywhere with you. And Jesus says, stay and tell people. He says, I'll do that too. How do you respond to Christ? Now, we're going to stand. If, if you would stand, we're going to sing a worship song. And I encourage all of you who believe to make a proclamation of your response by holding in your hands the elements that will be passed out To acknowledge him as your only hope, as your living hope. To acknowledge him as the one who has the power to transfer you from the torment of sin to newness of life. And if you're here and you feel more like a man that is living and walking as a dead person, a living hell day and night, you are broken beyond your own repair. I encourage you to accept an invitation to meet the Christ who can set you free.